Cheers from a crowd, even a standing ovation, is nothing new when Delaware's own Joseph R. Biden comes home. This is, uh, this is overwhelming for Jill and me. And, uh, but you know, uh, one of the reasons why it's overwhelming, uh, uh, we never, and I mean this sincerely, we never thought we left home. Um, That was an emotional Joe Biden when he returned home in 2017 after serving eight years as vice president of the United States. He managed to visit Wilmington, Delaware as much as his schedule would allow. And while the first state is very dear to his heart, the people here share moments in their lives that illustrate why Vice President Biden is very dear to them. On this special episode of Biden Stories, we get up close and personal with Margaret Aiken, Representative Gerald Brady, and Brian McGlinchey. From the Delaware House Democratic Caucus, you're listening to Whip Count. Margaret Aiken, founder of Aiken Communications in Wilmington, Delaware, served as spokesperson and press secretary for then United States Senator Joe Biden from 1997 to 2008. She also advised and prepared Vice President Biden for everything, pretty much from interviews to public events. Any memorable stories you'd like to share with us, Margaret? Oh, boy, I have... How many hours is this podcast? <laughs> I have, you know, I have so many. I mean, there's a couple that kind of stick out for me. So I was with him on 9-11, actually, literally with him on 9-11. And the the first plane, I was in D.C., and the first plane, you know, went into the tower. And nobody really at that point knew what was going on. And Joe Biden was actually on the train going to D.C. And you know, our chief of staff called him and told him what was going on. By the time he got into D.C., it was clear that we were under attack. And at that point, there was still an airplane up in the air, and they had no idea. I mean, they knew it was coming for D.C. That was the one that actually crashed in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. But they they knew it was coming to D.C., but they didn't know if it was coming for the Capitol, the White House. They had no idea. So. They literally closed the Capitol down. They, they evacuated all of our buildings and closed the Capitol down. And I have this, this really, really clear memory of then-Senator Biden. He wanted to get on the Senate floor and to give a speech. And he, he wanted the rest of the world to see that our government was not shutting down. He thought that was extremely important that they see that we're still operational and up and running because I think if you remember at that time, the president, President Bush, was in Florida, and he was en route back, and Vice President Cheney was at an undisclosed location. So I think Senator Biden, he just felt like it was an extremely important thing that the world know, yes, we're under attack, but we're still functioning. And I remember him walking up the steps of the Capitol. I was with him, and this poor Capitol Police officer, he must have been like, you know, 20 years old. Biden said, I'm going to go on the Senate floor and I'm going to um, give a speech. And I, he said, nobody else has to be in there. And I don't care. I just been, the world needs to see that we're still running. And this police officer looked so nervous. And he said, I can't let you go on the floor. He's like, I'm sorry, we have to close this building down. And, and literally the only thing that convinced him 
not to go there, as you said, and also, you know, I'd have to be in there with you. And I think at that point, Joe Biden thought, well, I don't want to put anybody else in danger, you know, because they didn't know where the planes were coming. But I just was so impressed by his his calmness during that time. He was stopping people. There was so much chaos in the streets of D.C. He was stopping people saying, we're going to be okay. And, you know, just that, that whole week period after, you know, after the towers went down and you know, there was just so much chaos and nobody knew what was going on. And I was so utterly impressed by his leadership. I mean, he gave our staff this really stirring speech about the strength and resilience of the United States. And I remember thinking, boy, I wish my mom could hear that. You know, like he's just, it was just really incredible to, to listen to and it was incredible to watch. And I really think that's the kind of leader that he is. It's instinctive to him. It's something that is very natural and he is just, he's very compassionate and concerned and, you know, he's, he, he's showing the same kind of leadership now in terms of wearing the mask and, you know, social distancing. I mean, here, here you've got the president of the United States making fun of him for doing the right thing, which is super, super bizarre to me. But, I mean, I think he's a leader. And, and leaders, leaders do, and they, they show people what to do. And I think he has shown that throughout his career, his leadership. It shows that he has very thick skin, and you have to pretty much in politics. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I worked for him for 10 years, and I worked in other, you know, political capacities and, and other offices, and people always ask me if I'd ever run, and I'm like, no way. You know, it is, I can't even, I can't even tell you how many times I witnessed, you know, people you know, you stop, he would stop and get a cup of coffee and somebody would be yelling at him that his neighbor's lawn, the grass was too high. You know, stuff that just isn't within certainly a United States senator's purview. But it's, it's, it's a hard, hard job. I mean, look what, look what, you know, people are putting him and his family through. I think, I think it takes a lot of courage for somebody to run for office. I have a great deal of respect for them. This guy, he has put in enough time. He could right now be retiring and fishing and golfing, but he chose to get back in the game and really fight for us because he saw what was happening and didn't want it to continue. And I have so, so much respect for that and, and gratitude really. Definitely a true public servant. Absolutely. While you've got a chance to be around a more serious side of Vice President Joe Biden, there has to be a lighter story in there. <laughs> oh, I have I have a million. I, I mean, I'm not kidding. Like he just like I just, you know, to me, it was it was the hardest 10 years of my life, but really the most rewarding and you know, I traveled with him internationally and nationally and, you know, through every town and city and borough of Delaware. And by borough, I mean, Gumboro, Dagsboro, Millsboro, you know, like just everywhere. And, you know, they're just, I just, there's so many. I mean, I, I, we, we took the train together three days a week in the morning. And I always said I was the most hated person at the train station because, he really cut it very close to when the train was leaving, you know. Oh, so wow. There would be, Sounds all too familiar. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like everybody. I mean, there would be times where he would be sprinting to catch the train. And when, I, like, you know, he would call me and say, I am, I am literally right down the block. I'm coming. And I see the train pulling in. And I said to the conductor, 
he's just going to be two seconds, two seconds. And, you know, he would sprint up and jump on the train at the last minute. And, um, you know, everybody's like heart was palpitating. And, uh, you know, it was just, I mean, I have so many stories of being on the train with him. I, it was, it was great because we got so much work done on the train and, you know, I was his press secretary and a lot of times I would say to reporters, I will call you back between 7 p.m. and 8.15 <laughs> because I knew I had an hour and 15 minutes of him stuck on a train so he couldn't, uh, you know, be doing anything else and I, and I had it so it was great for me. But, I mean, I remember so many mornings getting on the train, you know, he would sit down and I would sit next to him and there would be times he'd say, hey, look, I'm going to go grab a cup of coffee. Do you want one? And I learned really quickly to say, no, let me go get it, because there were times where he would get up to get us a cup of coffee, and we'd pull into Washington an hour and 20 minutes later, and he's in the cafe car with two freezing cold cups of coffee talking to somebody, you know, that just stopped him. And, uh, you know, it, there's just a million stories like that. I mean, he did so many. I remember one time coming to pick him up to do Space the Nation one Sunday, and he was up on a ladder painting a shutter and he looked at me and said, Margaret, what, what are you doing here? And I said, what are you doing up there? You're going to be on face the nation in 20 minutes. So we start, like we learned our routine. So I would call him an hour before I was going to come get him and say, you're doing this show right now. And he would, you know, have his briefing book and read it on the way down there. And, you know, whomever it was, whether he was talking about Iraq, he would have our Iraq expert on the phone to kind of, you know, ask questions and find out the latest. And, you know, it was, it was pretty incredible, but, you know, it was, it was just a phenomenal experience for me. And, you know, truthfully, it was really hard for me to leave. I had a baby when he became vice president. And I think, you know, had I had another job in that office, I might've been able to stay, but press secretary is one of those jobs that, (laughs) You know, you just, you really, you can't say to people, well, I'll call you back on Tuesday. So, you know, so it's demanding. And I'll tell you what, this is the kind, this is to give you an indication of what kind of person he is. Even if, let's just say, I don't think I was, but let's just say I was the worst press, press secretary on earth. You don't want to lose your press secretary right when you're becoming vice president. You just don't. And you know, I had made this very, very difficult decision to sort of, you know, kind of stay home for a little while. And I ended up having two kids. And I wrote him this very heartfelt, tear-filled email saying I wasn't coming back. And, you know, I think a lot of people would have been like, oh, God, I'm losing my press secretary. I can't believe this. And he wrote, Margaret, you made the right choice. I'll call you tomorrow, Joe. And then he called me, you know, first thing in the morning and he said, I'm glad, you know, you're going to, you're going to really enjoy this time at home. You you deserve it. You work so hard. And he's like, if we can figure this out, you know, come back, you know, it was just, it was just such a kind understanding thing that was, you know, probably not in his best interest to lose me at that time, but he couldn't have been more gracious. And, you know, that's just the kind of person he is. And, Every story you hear about his empathy and kindness and compassion, they are all true. You know, and I could tell you 500 more. And that's not to say he's not a guy that's tough to work for because he is. I mean, he expected you to know what you were doing. And, 
I mean, it was a lot of work, but he was just an incredible, he is an incredibly decent, honorable person. And I think he was going to make a tremendous president. Thank you for sharing. I'm sitting here like, yes, keep talking. <laughs> as you were sharing your stories about your time as press secretary, you painted such great pictures that all I could do is just see the words as they were coming out, almost as if I was there. Of course. And I'm happy to, like, I mean, if you, I, you can obviously tell I'm a huge Joe Biden fan. And I think that says a lot about the man. I mean, I don't know a lot of people who could work for somebody for, for 11 years, almost 11 years, 10 years, and, and like them even more, you know, after they worked for them. I mean, I, I've seen him, I worked so closely with him and I just truly believe that he is, the only person right now that can sort of restore us to what we need to get back to. I mean, I have so much hope and confidence. I have a hundred percent confidence that when he gets in there, he's just going to turn around the trajectory of this country right now. And I think he's going to do it not by being an island, but by, you know, pulling in the best and the brightest, like he's always done. And, you know, for the first time in a really long time, I feel very hopeful about this country. Representative Gerald Brady is now with us to share some of his most memorable stories and interactions with Vice President Joe Biden. How long have you known Biden? I have known Joe Biden since uh, 1972, the year that he ran for uh, county council. So tell us your favorite story to share with others. I know you have at least one. Well, I have I have several, but I'll start with the uh, the highlighter. Uh, it, the year was 1977. I was a sophomore at uh, King's College in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, which is just below Scranton. And um, I was the uh, sophomore class president. Therefore, I had to um, I had to make the arrangements for our annual gala, our annual ball. So I had booked the event for Friday night, uh, March the 18th which is, just happens to be the day after St. Patrick's Day. Well, in February of that year, I get a phone call from the manager who I had signed the contract with, and he said, Mr. Brady, I have a little complication here. Um, I, I, I'm going to need to rearrange the date of your event. So I proceeded to say, well, listen, give me... Give me uh, one or two good reasons as to why I should consider moving, you know, my event. And he said, well, the Friendly Sons of St. Patrick's, the local Irish organization, who I just happened to know some of their their officers. He said, the Friendly Sons of St. Patrick's have booked this speaker, this keynote speaker. And this guy's a real hot shot upstart. Um, and he can only make it that night. I scratch my head and I think to myself, well, give more. He said, well, this guy, as I said, he's an upstart. He's been in office for a couple of years, you know, great speaker, orator, and he is from Scranton. So I said, Scranton, I go, that's a local guy. He can rank back his schedule. He said, no, he's originally from Scranton. He's actually the senator for the state of Delaware. And I said, oh, my God. I said, well, that's a home run. That's where I'm from. 
So I proceed to go ahead and, and make the concession. And as the date approached, um, March the 17th, which was St. Patrick's Day, I had traditionally returned to Wilmington to attend an event that my mom held each year at the Gold Ballroom on St. Patrick's Day. So that morning, St. Patrick's Day, which is the 17th, my best friend and I, we load up our duffel bags, hit the main highway and hitchhike out of town. This is the 70s, of course. So. And we hitchhike down here to Wilmington, get cleaned up, and go to the event in the hotel. And during the course of the evening, uh, of course, Senator Biden and all the um, elected officials were generally in attendance. And uh, during the cocktail hour, my mom tells me over and she says, Gerald, I want you to meet Senator Biden again. Uh, I was just telling him that you attend, you're attending King's College. And so he immediately responds by saying, well, Jerry, I'm, I'm just happened to be going up to King's or up to Wilkes-Barre uh, tomorrow evening to speak at the Friendly Sons Dinner. And I said, well, I'm fully aware of that. And we had to rearrange our event. And, and, you know, acknowledgement of your schedule. And he said, well, thank you. I really appreciate that. And we continued a little bit of conversation. And, um, you know, the evening went on. And at one point, just as before he was leaving the event, he comes over to me and he says, hey, I've been thinking about this. You said, he, you said that you had come down today from Wilkesboro. When and how are you returning? So I'm going to hitchhike like I did to get down here. And he said, no, you're not. Call this number. So he hands me his business card. And sure enough, the next morning, um, I called this number, which was his office. So about, uh, about an hour later, I get a phone call from this young lady. And she said, Mr. Brady, I apologize. The senator wishes for you to be at the Wilmington Airport. You'll be flying down to Washington to pick up the senator. And then you'll be flying out of Washington up to Avoca which is the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Airport. He had made these arrangements for us to have a little little snack, a little lunch at the airport while we waited. He had to be down there for a particular vote. And uh, sure enough, we meet the senator. We get back in the airplane. We take off. Uh, the next thing you know, the rain, it was raining at the time, and that rain, we're up in the mountains now, that rain turns to a pretty heavy wet snow, so... We get out, and you could just barely see. Well, sure enough, there was a motorcade that had come out to the tarmac to meet the senator. And at, at that point, I was just prepared to walk through the, uh, the terminal and, and get back on the road in the, in the snow, heavy, wet snow. Yet I hear this voice saying, Mr. Brady, come with us. And it turns out to be a state, uh, state trooper who was, who was head of the motorcade. He said, the senator would like for you to uh, to ride along with me, and we'll get you back to back to Wilkesboro. I said, "Well, that's, that's great. I'm not going to turn it down." So sure enough, now I'm in the motorcade taking the, the senator down to to Wilkesboro, and we arrive at the hotel. And the police officer who I'd, I'd begun to converse with, and we had made a couple of you know common contacts, and he said, uh, "Hey, listen, just hold on. Once we get done the." official detail he said i can drive you over to the dormitory which is just a couple blocks away so sure enough he drives me over to the dormitory and as i said it was snowing so it's a friday evening and uh you know all the all the all my buddies were outside either in a snowball fight or uh, getting ready to party it was a friday 
and I come pulling up in a Pennsylvania State Troopers car with my duffel bag, and I get out of the car, I thank the, the officer, and all of my friends start yelling at me, saying to me, oh, look, Brady, Brady got pulled over, you know, got tagged by the troopers for hitchhiking. And I immediately responded by saying, no, you don't understand. I, my, my state senator just flew me back from Wilmington to Washington, from Washington to Avoca, from Avoca to the, to the, um, the dormitory here. And they just burst out laughing. And to this day, most of uh, some of my friends still doubt the fact that I didn't get hit, picked up for hitchhiking. And instead, I, you know, had uh, been escorted by Joe Biden, or, you know, back to college. So. From that day forward, he, he and I, you know, have shared that uh, that remembrance, and um, it was just something that I certainly will, will never ever forget. I think it's pretty neat that you met Biden while you were just a college kid. Eventually, crossed paths with his son Bo, and then you became a public servant yourself, first as a city councilman in Wilmington, and now a state representative. It's almost as if you guys were destined to cross paths. There was, yeah, there was always the opportunity for a, a connection just simply by their activities, the Bidens, and of course, anyone else in Delaware. As we always say, in Delaware, there's only two degrees of separation. So, the, you know, there was always going to be the opportunity to either meet the Bidens or to work with them somehow in some capacity. And it was always, always extremely benevolent. Thank you for joining us. Brian McGlinchey, former senior staff member under then-Senator Joe Biden. So tell us, you are very familiar with the Biden family. What stories would you like to share? Well, first of all, thank you very much for, for having me on. I've had the pleasure of knowing the Biden family for four decades now. And I think, you know, one of the best stories I can share about Joe that I think really crystallizes the kind of person he is, is one time we were traveling to an event, uh, and it was actually in New Jersey, and the button popped off his suit. And, you know, Joe was uh, the kind of guy who never asked staff to do anything that he wouldn't do himself. And that's um, that's a rare commodity in, in Washington, in, in Congress. So I was there and I asked him if I could, you know, take care of it for him. He waved me off and he went up to the front desk and the hotel, which he was speaking, and he asked for a mending kit. Next thing you know, he he grabbed the little mending kit and found his way into the lounge in a very corner spot and uh, proceeded to sew the button back on himself. Seems like a small thing, but it, what it really is is indicative of the character that represents Joe Biden. Everything from the way that he interacted with the young woman at the desk, asking for the kit, no big fanfare, no panic, just sat in the corner, did it himself. And that's the way Joe is. You know, the, the Joe that you see on TV uh, is the person that he is. And he's always exemplified those kind of characteristics throughout his career. 
I can truly imagine him sitting there trying to sew a button. (laughs) I'm sure we've all had that experience, right? You're out and about and well put together. And then something happens to throw your day off. Your zipper breaks. Your button falls off. It's just like, what is going on? Exactly. And it it sounds like such a, a ridiculous story to tell. But what it really does is offer incredible insight into it. Uh, number one, you know, average Joe, you know, one of us. Number two, you know, no fanfare. You know, this wasn't the end of the world. He just he just took the bull by the horns, did it what every other ordinary person would do. Didn't expect uh, anything, you know, from anyone else. And it's, it just it gives you incredible insight. It's just a small window into the man himself. And I think I think it's a story everybody can relate to. So, Anything else you like to share? Part one of Delawareans sharing Biden stories aired already. And one listener who's from out of state said, I don't even know who these people are. And I am touched by their stories. Joe always had a good sense of humor. But, you know, his trademark really has been persevering through adversity. And, you know, I can remember on 9-11, you know, September 11th, when all that transpired. And he made a return back to the Wilmington District Office, which stayed open all night that night, answering constituent inquiries, making sure that people felt safe. And he visited with the staff, and he sat the entire staff down, you know, And he talked to the staff about how important it was that we reaffirm constituents. And actually, in that case, it was the American people. Because of Joe's national standing, we would get calls all over the place. Uh, And the Washington office was not open, as you can imagine, about reaffirming that things are going to be okay. And I think that's especially appropriate today. You know, what Joe offers is a steady hand in the wheel, experience, reasoned, calm, reassuring. And it was that exact demeanor. Those are the hallmarks of the leader. And that is what Joe has exemplified today. And I guess the, you know, the only thing that I would offer some insight into is in terms of Joe the man is... Uh, his voracious reading of notes, personal notes that people send to him, and the personal level of response that they get back. And, you know, I think that stems from being a United States senator in Delaware, the personal nature of Delaware politics, you know, seeing people at the grocery store, running into people after mass at you know, St. Joseph's, that's Joe Biden. So he has taken that way of doing business throughout his career in Washington and then also uh, hopefully into the into the White House, you know, uh, as president. He certainly did as vice president. I mean, bombarded with mail, bombarded with requests. And, you know, I can't imagine anybody in Delaware ever saying, they asked Joe Biden for a picture or an autograph or, you know, for a moment of his time and ever being turned away. 
as Joe mentioned, at the Welcome Home Joe and Jill event, which I was uh, proud to serve with Margaret and Tony Allen and many others uh, on that committee. He mentioned when he dies, Delaware will be written in his heart. That's really true. Delaware carried him in his career, and he has never forgotten it. It's his home. He's our hometown hero, and with uh, Delaware at his back, he can't lose. We actually have a clip from the speech you're referencing. It truly paints a picture of the love Biden feels for Delaware. To paraphrase James Joyce, and I know I'm always quoting Irish poets, but uh, Joyce said, and I'm going to paraphrase him, when I die, when I die, Delaware, we written on my heart. Whip Count is brought to you by the Delaware House Democratic Caucus. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash dehousedems, on Twitter at dehousedems, on Instagram, also at DE House Dems. More episodes are coming, so make sure you're subscribed.